The following is a Bible study taught at First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. At FBC, we endeavor to handle God's Word accurately, that believers may understand what God is doing through history and what He has planned for believers in the present. We hope you will find this study helpful in better knowing God. More audio and written studies can be found at graceteaching.net under resources. And now, our speaker. There we go. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look into our study. Father, we're thankful for the time that you give us together. Thanks for the uh, time of fellowship around the table, and again, for those that have taken time to prepare food, and for those you've allowed to be here and ask that we might uh, be encouraged by the time in your word and the things that you are doing. Be encouraged by you and what you have promised us, and we thank you for it. Amen. So our study tonight, your page eight, is you can be spiritual and can know it. And I should, I usually pull that up for them, uh, people online to see that. It's better than looking at me. Um, but uh, I didn't get that ready tonight. But the idea of being spiritual, we're going to talk in the study about what it means to be spiritual, what the word spiritual is, what it is. Uh, but in a lot of circles, uh, part of the problem is, is in a lot of churches, they think everybody's spiritual. Because they don't like the distinction between that there are some Christians that are spiritual and some Christians that are carnal. Because they think what you're doing is you're dividing up the body of Christ. But the Bible actually draws this distinction. Draws that distinction in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. That he, Paul says, I couldn't write to you as spiritual, I'd write to you as carnal people. And so the Bible does make distinctions. And it doesn't help us to erase those and tell everybody, hey, you're all spiritual. Or as some, some of them put it, some of us are we're, we're a little bit more spiritual, but we're all carnal. So we're all carnal, we're all spiritual, just different degrees of both. But the Bible says it's, it's one, or, one or the other, and you'll understand that better. And I think if they understood what the word spiritual meant, I think they would get this better. But I don't think many of them really understand what's meant by the word spiritual. So we're going to start in Galatians chapter 6 tonight. Galatians chapter 6. And uh, we've got actually a couple of questions that we're going to be trying to answer uh, on here. But we'll just start with the first one. According to Galatians 6.1, who is to help whom? So, Leslie, if you would read for us Galatians 6.1, please. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Did you say one and two? No, just one. Just one. But according to this verse, who is helping whom? There's two believers. One is spiritual, one is spiritual. Yeah, there's two believers. So one's, and so you've got, you've got what kind of a believer? A spiritual believer. A helping a or a believer caught in a trespass. Okay. Now, that brings us then to the second question. What two things does this verse imply? You can be spiritual or you can be not spiritual. Yeah. So that first part is the most important here. You can you can be spiritual, but there's then there's another part of that based on you can help. You can know that you're spiritual. You can know that you're spiritual. I mean if, you, if you're going to, uh, this is what I always think, and I've read 
commentaries by people that come to this and they come to the word spiritual and say, well, everybody's spiritual. Well, if everybody's spiritual then, how do you know, then why would another person be having problems? It's basically, can't they help themselves? This is what we'd have to say. But they can't help themselves. That's part of the problem. They need someone else to come in alongside and encourage them. I shouldn't say they can't help themselves. They could get their thinking straightened out. But the issue is, those of you who are spiritual, the fact that it says those of you who are spiritual, that implies that some aren't spiritual. Yeah. Okay. Does everybody get that? So we've got two things. I would say there's even a third thing that's not the most important part of this, but that is you could actually identify a believer caught in a trespass. I think if you're spiritual, you can see it. I think that's the problem. You have to be spiritual to recognize that person there is having problems. Well, because verse 26, conceited, provoking, ending. Yeah, so we've talked about that before. I think examples of those trespasses are what Peggy just read out of 526. Those are some examples of what a person might be caught up in. And the, the point, and this is something that a lot of Christians are, are hesitant to do, but the thing is, Paul doesn't, this isn't an option. <clears throat> Paul is charging them with an imperative. If you're spiritual, you see the person with a problem, you go and you help that person. If you don't help them, you are out of line. You're out of God's will because it's what God wants you to do is to go help them in this. And I think that that's very important to do because we think, well, that's their business and they got to figure this out. No, that's not the way the body of Christ works. The body of Christ is all the parts help each other. And when you see somebody with a need, you help them. I mean, if you see your brother hanging from the roof of the house because they're slipped off and they're hanging there, do you just stand there and go, oh, it's his business. I hope he can figure out how to drop softly. No. You... <laughs> okay. But no, you, you help, right? You help. And, but it's also true in the spiritual realm. And this is very, very pointed and very clear. Now, the next thing that we want to ask is, what is a spiritual person? And part of that comes with that the word spiritual is an adjective. In the Greek, you have the word spirit, and then it has a little ending on it. Ikos, and ikos an adjectival ending. That means, if that's the case, a spiritual person is a person who is of the Spirit or characterized by the Spirit. There's something about them that expresses the, the character or the work of the Spirit, doesn't it? Okay. So that's it's very simple. And when I went through seminary, uh, we were taught that a spiritual person is a person that emanates, a word we don't use a lot in, in, in regular everyday English. It is, it is a word that you use in certain places, but we don't use it very often. But it means that they're expressing. Emanate means things are coming from them about the Spirit, which is true. But we can simply say it's a person that is expressing in their character something about the Spirit or the Spirit's work. Does everybody get that? Okay. So that's what a spiritual person is. Okay. Now, next question. What are the two possible, and this should be meanings, there should be an I-N-G between the N and S in the word means, it's not what are two possible means for spirit. What are the two possible meanings for spirit? Anybody want to take a guess what we mean by that? It can be go two directions. What are you two directions? It'd be either the Holy Spirit or human spirit, or it could be wind or... 
Or it could be a, a false spirit too. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things that could be expressed. Exactly. Those are so we actually have four possible ideas. The reason I mentioned the two is this is kind of again where Christian teachers come down. Uh, one of the guys I like to look at his commentaries. He passed away a long time ago. His name was Roger Lenski or Richard Lenski. I don't remember. You don't need to know. But he was a Lutheran and he wrote a nice series of New Testament commentaries, very detailed, a lot of good grammar, but when he comes to spirit here and being filled by the spirit in Ephesians 5, he thinks it's being filled with your human spirit. And he thinks that spirit, the fruit from the spirit over here is the fruit of your human spirit. That's the way uh, Lenski thinks that is. But I think this is the Holy Spirit. Now, just you don't have to hold your place here, but let's take a couple looks at why I think that this is the Holy Spirit. Turn back to chapter 3 here in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. You mindless Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been openly portrayed as crucified? This only do I desire to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit from law works or by hearing of faith? Now he says you receive the Spirit. What does he mean by receive the Spirit? You, you got a human spirit? If, the, if, if by spirit he means the human spirit, that's what he would be saying. You, you got your human spirit. No. He's talking about the Holy, spirit. the Holy Spirit. And so he goes on, did you receive it by or by hearing of faith? Are you so mindless, having begun by spirit? Again, he's not talking about your human spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Are you now perfected by flesh? And see, that's what he's doing. He's trying to contrast between your human spirit and your human flesh. That's the way Lenski looks at this. Verse 4, Have you suffered so many things, if indeed they're in vain? The one supplying to you the Spirit and producing works of power among you, is it from law works or by a hearing of faith? So again, he's talking here about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about what the Holy Spirit is doing here, how a person began in their Christian life and that you received the Spirit, not your, not your human spirit. Now we're gonna um, we're gonna come uh, we're gonna um, let's we're gonna save uh, the next one there on how is the law spiritual. We're gonna save that one for a minute because I want to go to Galatians chapter five to the next one down below there on the sheet and look with me at verse um, sixteen through eighteen. Peggy, if you could read those for us. So Galatians five sixteen through eighteen. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Okay, again, Lenski's going to look at this. I'm just using him as an example of this. We don't, I'm not here to argue with him on this. But he would look at that he's contrasting your flesh to your spirit is what he's doing. Rather than contrasting the work of the Holy Spirit to what your flesh wants to produce. But having said all of that, our question in there, based on these verses, is what does, what does a Christian do to be spiritual in this text? According to those verses right there. Verses 16 through 18. Walk they walk by the Spirit. That's how they're characterized by the Spirit. They're walking by the Spirit. How does verse 18 explain walking by the Spirit? 
you're led. Now, we've talked about this in a lot of other passages before, so I'm just going to, we're going to come back to this, but I just want to ask, if somebody asked you, what does that mean to walk by or be led by the Spirit? How are you led by the Spirit? What's the Spirit doing? Taking you to your position in Christ. Yeah, He's leading you to your position in Christ. That's not a thing your human spirit necessarily leads you to. That's where the Spirit leads you. So when you walk, you are following His lead to your position in Christ. You are doing something. We're going to see that in just a minute in Romans. You're going to be doing something with your with your spirit in that regard. Now, if you jump down here, Peggy, you jump down to verses 22 and read verses 22 down um, through 6-1 again. Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you, who are spiritual, should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. Okay. So, look through that set of verses, verses tw primarily verses 22 through 25. What are the things there that you would say characterize a person that's spiritual? The fruit. Okay, there we go. Victory in reference to the flesh. Okay, because it says... He crucified the flesh with its affections and wants. Okay. And then in verse 25... We live by the Spirit, and then we have another word for... Walking by the Spirit. The word walk, back up in verse 16, is a word meaning kind of, it's, it's more of a general walk. It's, it's less focused. The word that's used for walking down in verse 25 is a word for a very careful walk. Uh, if, if you look at it this way, the word that, that's used for walking down in verse 25, it's also used for the basic elements of the world the way they look at the world put together. But it's also, as Paul uses it in Colossians, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. Who do you say those things to? Little kids. Little kids. Little kids. Except sometimes my wife has to say that to me. She says, no, that's for other people to eat. You can't have it. <laughs> but, no, seriously, you tell it to little kids. Now, can you think of somebody else that walks very carefully? Well, soldiers, but I was going to say little kids. You think when little kids are first trying to take their steps and they're kind of, they're trying to figure out how to, uh, no, I'm pick that other foot up and move. And it's also kind of a very careful step and they're trying to figure, well, some kids. Well, at the store, they're all jumping from square to square so they don't step on the crack and break their mother. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. And that's yes, another way of, of looking at careful. Oh, that's funny. So that, so I, I find it interesting that he uses this word that is used of little kids in two situations. But it is also as Peggy was saying, it's also used for like soldiers marching. Or if you have a marching band on the football field, they and they're going to move and do different things. They have to walk carefully so that they're not tripping over each other and knocking into each other. So that's this idea of a walk. And the idea in this context is, you know, when you're really having a lot of struggle in your Christian life, you don't, you don't have the walk that he just says in verse 16. You have to have a very carefully ordered walk. You really need to think where you are mentally taking each step, each mental step in your life. Because, well, in the context, what's the, what's the 
the thing with which they're struggling. The flesh. And the flesh can be pretty ruthless. All your enemies can be ruthless, but the flesh is pretty ruthless. And so he says you need to take these very carefully ordered steps. It's persistent. Yeah. Keep yeah. Steps and not get lazy. That's right. Thank you. Okay, so now we're going to jump back up to, um, well, so, no, we're going to save that. We're going to jump back up to, did you have a question? Oh, well, oh. Um, okay. So, so this, oh, okay. So the last part of that, and what characterizes them as spiritual, that is the fruit from the spirit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's what yeah. So they're walking by the Spirit. Two different times we're told they're walking with two different words. And they're characterized by having the fruit. Okay. And they're characterized, as Josh was saying, by having victory. Because he said they're walking by the Spirit so they don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Which is exact. That's why he says in verse uh, 24, they've crucified the flesh with its passions. Those, this was a... Um, oh, I, it was at men's coffee. It's not men's group, so we can talk about it outside of men. But we talked about this at men's group or men's coffee a week ago. Was uh, we were have the question is can Christians have addictions? Yeah, and I and Josh just hit it on the head. That's what passions are. An addiction is something that is you have done it so repeatedly as a believer, you don't even have to think about it when you're you don't go through this, um, you don't go through this whole lust temptation. Oh, should I? Should I not do this? Maybe I should. You know, that's what most Christians kind of are dealing with in a normal set, setting, but when it's a passion. It like it's it your flesh wants to do this and boom you just go right with it without even thinking hardly through that thing, and as a result it becomes something that to try to stop that to try to quit causes you to suffer causes suffering which is what the word passion is. are we use passion in a positive sense today don't we he has a passion for life they use the word passion for suffering that's the word that's used of what Christ did on the cross he suffered. Pasco in the Greek. And so that's what he's saying is it's works of the flesh that cause suffering to try to stop that. So we think about that. If you have a person that's a drug addict, it's hard. Their physical body is so attuned to this that it's going to cause them physical problems to try to get off this. They're going to, what did they used to call it? They go through the DTs, I think, drying out from, from those drugs and such like that. But there's all kinds of addictions. I've known people, I would say I've even struggled with like addiction with anger. I'm, I always tell Peggy, I'm glad she didn't meet me before that because I used to have real fits about stuff. And, uh, and there are people that don't know how to get through their day. There are people that are very successful, but they function by being really angry all the time. And they just don't. In fact, I think they made a movie about that several years ago. It was supposed to be kind of a comedy, but it was based on that idea. So Tim, yeah. Paul and I were just saying this. Now we understand why that movie is called The Passion of Christ. Yeah. Because it's the suffering. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what it's about. Okay. Yeah. Which is why. See, and if you go back when I first time I ever saw this, we my family was camping in the Black Hills, way back when I was in fifth grade. And if you went down to Custer, down south, they had what they called Passion Play. I don't know if they still do that to this yeah, day, but. Uh, but there's lots of places that do passion plays where they do a play where they reenact what Christ went through. So, yeah. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7 then. And Maria. That's a really good one in Puyallup. 
Well, they have a passion play there. Oh, I did not know that. Or if I did, I didn't remember. Romans 7, Maria, and verse, verse 14. Say 7:14. Yes, Romans 7, verse 14. So that's not on here. No, yes, it is. We skipped over it. Sorry. Did you write your stuff in the wrong spot? No, luckily. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> we were talking about the nature of what it meant to be spiritual. So just using this as an example in here. Okay. Struggling with sin. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble. <clears throat> is with me, with I am all too human. I slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what I'm right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Okay, that that that's good. Thank you. Yeah. So verse fourteen there, it said that the law is spiritual. spiritual. Now, a lot of people use this to try to say, well, how could you say that we don't live by the law? The law is spiritual. But what's he really saying when he says the law is spiritual here? It relates to your spirit. Yeah. It relates to your mind. It relates to your mental capacity because you go, oh, if I break it, I could die. Oh, maybe I shouldn't break it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't appeal to the emotions in the sense that... Um, you're gonna feel good about this. You're gonna well, it did kind of even do that, but yeah. it was more appealing to the mind. Yeah, I always, I know I probably used this illustration before, but I always think like if you're if you're trying to lose weight, you got to keep track of calories and you got to look at foods. And when Josh brings a box of donuts to men's coffee. And there is my favorite. I'm not a huge donut fan, but Aikens makes a really good maple bar. Aikens? Oh, Aikens, isn't that where you get it from? Yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. And that's a really good maple bar. And I'm looking at that thing, and I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm counting out how many calories are in that maple bar. And I'm telling you, that's a spiritual thing. You're doing that in the realm of your spirit. Because my soul is going, oh, I want that, baby. Oh, that thing's going to be good. It's going to taste good. Well, yeah, sure. It's exactly what that's exactly what my soul's like feeling. Oh, have you had one? I, I have tasted one oh, when Daryl brought Daryl brought them. those thrown in a box. I can pass up the maple bars. It's the glazed fruit sun. But I use that. But what Josh is saying is exactly right. When you have rules, and isn't that when you're talking about going on a diet or something like that or, or something like this? You're, the consequences. There's consequences. And you have to think through that because it's not what your soul wants. Your soul, your soul wants what it wants. That's all it cares about. It just cares about being gratified. And then they tell you you're a, you're a diabetic. <laughs> yeah, see, there are consequences, perhaps, you know, perhaps, for some people. <laughs> okay, there we go. So anyway, another example of what idea, the significance of spiritual is talking about a place where you're going to have to use the spirit part of your mind, not your soul, not how you feel about things. Uh, and he's just using that for the law, because the law had penalties. 
And I, Josh illustrated, <laughs> I might die. That was a penalty for breaking the law. But some of the other ones, like we mentioned the other on Sunday, is, well, I've got, you know, 20 sheep. That's, that's my flock of sheep. And if I die, or excuse me, if I die, if I break this rule, I'm going to be down one sheep because I'm going to have to take one of those sheep up to the priest and he's going to have to slaughter it and offer. And now I've only got 19 sheep. My flock's just come down. So it were things like that that a person was supposed to think about. It's supposed to appeal to their, to their spirit. Okay. Now we're over here in Romans. So let's go to Romans chapter 8. Because Romans chapter 8 is, uh, and, and I've just, I'm making a, a statement here. A Christian can be spiritual if we, now we're going to go with this. We're going to go to Romans chapter 8, verse 4 and 5. It doesn't use the word spiritual right here. But Carol, if you would read for us. Uh, and um, I'm going to have you just go all the way up to verse 1 and read down through uh, verse 5, please. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of the sin and of the death. What the law could not do, since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemned the sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in flesh, like ours, under sin's domain, and as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh think about the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit. Okay. So we're going to put in down here at verses 4 and 5 here for a minute. A Christian can be spiritual if we go to verses 4 and 5. Because remember, what does it mean to be spiritual? You are... Characterized by the Spirit. Yeah, you're expressing or characterized by something of the Spirit. So what is going on when we come down to verses 4 and 5? What do we have? Walking according to the Spirit. Yeah. Where else did we see that just a little bit ago? Galatians. Over in, over in Galatians. And we saw that that was a background for being spiritual. Now verse 5 tells us what that walking is. We have that word walking. Did yours, did, did yours use the word walk? Or say living? It did say walk, okay. Yeah. So, um, but when we no, come to verse, what? Yeah, verse 5. Verse, verse five. 4. Verse 4 says, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Right. But then verse 5 is the one that says. Yeah. Verse 5 is going to explain now what walking is. Yeah. Because otherwise we, I, and I think, I think when Paul wrote this, because of the way they used the word walk in their culture, they would have understood that walk had to do with kind of how you generally lived your life. Right? You live your life this way. So they used walk, not just for taking a walk in the neighborhood, but also for the way you just generally live. So what does he say in verse 5? How do you do that? Yeah. You set your mind on things of the Spirit. I mean, Carol's Bible said they think about the things from the flesh or think about the things from the Spirit. or Because I just think of different ways of, of trying to explain that word, set your mind to, frame your mind have an attitude. You've got an attitude that comes from the Spirit. It's another, there's some passages when you look at it, attitude is a good way to express what he's talking about here. Because that is, a, an attitude really is a frame of mind. It's a certain outlook, isn't it? So you have some things, he says, from the Spirit in this regard. So walking then is framing our mind with things from the Spirit or from the flesh in this context. 
Okay. Okay. And then I probably am redundant in asking these questions. You know, when I write questions up on things like that, sometimes it's like I'm trying to cover all the bases and I maybe get a little bit too, too wrapped up in this. But uh, how can we describe it? And this is, will you tell me how would you describe this? If somebody was asking you, it says to walk by the Spirit. Then it tells you walking by the Spirit is thinking or minding. How would you just explain that to a person, what they're doing? Play it. Pretend like I am a brand new Christian and I don't know hardly anything about the Christian life. I don't know anything. I don't have all this Bible language down. Somebody want to be bold and just try to give me a sentence or two way of, ex of explaining this? Processing things through a framework that is focused on what you have in Christ. Well, there you go. Say it again. Say that again for us, yeah. What did I say? <laughs> uh, um, did I say processing? Process? Yeah. Processing everything. Thoughts through a framework. Thank you. That relates to what you have in Christ. Okay. Uh, or okay. who you are in Christ. Right. But what you have. Now, this does not immediately in the verse we just read say the in Christ, but where did it say in Christ right here that Carol read? Back up in verse 2. So... Let's go back up and look at verse 2. It says, for the law of the Spirit. Now, is that, did you say law of the Spirit, Carol? It's the Spirit's law. The Spirit's law. Okay, I couldn't remember how it, how it read. I think one of the things you have to kind of explain or say when you look at that is that there are Christians, you're going to say that, if they know something about the Bible, they're going to go, oh, you're talking about like, like the Ten Commandments. And you're going to go, no, 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 no. This is just using law in the sense of what we would call like the law of gravity. Law of gravity is, guess what? Little kids, before they ever learn to talk or think about science, they figure out what the law of gravity is because they fall down, right? Yeah, that's, that's it's, it's something you're subject to, whether you can read about it or understand your dad or mom's explanation of the law of gravity. They get it. They may not be able to say it's law of gravity. So that's what he's talking about. So this is, I would always put it, this is the principle, or this is how. The law is how the Spirit works. So where, where does the Spirit work then, it says in the last part of verse 2? What? In Christ. And in what specifically in Christ? In our, or in the life that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Again, we've said before, um, sometimes Christians find out that they're dead. I still remember way back when Peggy and I were in college, there was a, we take all these college students down to hear this one guy. And that was the first time I'd ever, had ever heard anybody talk about counting yourself dead to the sin nature or sin. He just said sin. I don't think he said sin nature, but that's, he stopped. It didn't go beyond that. It stopped with that dead to the sin nature. This doesn't say the law or the principle of your death with Christ Jesus. This is the law of the principle of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus. That verse 2, I see it as the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus of being the new man and the law of sin and of death as being the old man. Is that inaccurate? Ask that again? Well, 
remember, new man and old man are not my sin nature. And because when the Bible uses old man in chapter six, your life in Adam versus your life in Christ. But yeah, and we can do. We still sometimes operate in the Adam part. Yeah. Yeah. So we still. That's what Paul just got done talking about. Chapter seven is we struggle with the sin nature. Freedom from it. That's exactly what he's saying. Yeah. The only way that you have freedom is when you get beyond instead of focusing just on the sin problem you start focusing on the life that you have in christ and you can't have life if you haven't done what first you've experienced death you've shared in his death but you don't stay with the death you move on to the life if you're a believer god says you not only died with christ but you're risen galatians 2:20. i am crucified with christ nevertheless i live yet not i but Christ lives in me, which is, uh, which is another, uh, another truth, but it's definitely related to all of this. So we can look at this and we can say walking then is having this frame of mind or viewing, looking at, at having an outlook on the things of life with respect to who we are. And we describe, so that's what we're describing this as. And so this relates to us in Christ. You walk by the Spirit. You frame your mind by the Spirit by relating to this is an example right here in verse 2, your life that's in Christ Jesus. Now, the next thing we want to understand in here is that there are, he said that there are two possible mindsets. And I've got Romans 8, 4 through 7, but even the verses we looked at there in verses 4 and 5, what are the two possible mindsets or frame of mind? The flesh. Yeah. So does your flesh want you to look at life from it? Yeah. It, that's the way it wants you to look at it. In fact, the whole thing is, when if you go out here in the world and you're working out there, when you guys are up at school, when you're down at the store, if you're working with unsaved people, guess what? That's the only frame of mind. Well, I say I think there's a frame of mind from Satan and a frame of mind from the world, but let's put it this way. They're always moving in, in the frame of mind from the flesh. That frame of the mind from the flesh might also then... It, it bring in frame of mind from Satan, frame of mind from the world. But that's all they were getting. You as believers, as believers in Christ, you are the only people that actually have the option to frame your mind on something other than the things that your flesh wants to think about. Which is why, and I don't want to get off track here, but that's why you need to remember with unsaved people, when they are, when you have people that are driven by we're talking about addictions, but what about not addictions? But if you just have a person that, man, that guy is just so zealous. He just, he excels all the time, but man, he leaves a lot of bodies in the wake, you know? And it's not even necessarily, he seems vicious, but he's just so driven that he, it's like he doesn't even know, notice the side effects. You got people like that. You got people that are angry and they want to fight and argue all the time. And you've got all those kinds of things. You got people that live to party, you know? What was the, the song, I think, when Peg and I were in college? Everybody's working for the weekend. Yeah. You got to fight. I know, right? Oh, I didn't even think about it. That, that was just a hair after my time. I get that. Yeah. That was our time. Yeah, on that note, yeah. don't party, walk by the Spirit. There you go. Party, party hard for the Lord. But... Um, but I, again, though, I, what I'm just trying to point out is we shouldn't expect the world to have a different mindset. That's, that's all they've got. Okay, But you and I, 
as Paul's getting at, we can have a different mindset. In fact, keeping in mind, we're not really looking at the flesh yet as an enemy. We're going to get into that in the next study. But when you go back to chapter 7 and you look at Paul's struggle with the law, the problem, the reason the law fails is because you're setting your mind to the wrong thing. You're setting your mind. When you live by law, Paul says, you're setting your mind to things of the flesh because you're trying to use the flesh to rein in the flesh. Isn't that crazy? Mm, or how to get away with it. Or how to get away with it. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the problem. That's the problem. Rather than setting your minds on things above, I still always like Mark Conrad's way he looked at it. When you live by law, you're a belly button gazer. You're always looking down at yourself. And what you're trying to, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> See? And so you're rather than looking up and seeing things from that perspective. Um, let's go to Colossians chapter 3. And this just, what we were just saying about looking down here feeds right into this. Colossians chapter 3, and Holland, if you would read for us verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so our first question is, where are we to seek things? Above. Where Christ is seated. That's the key. Because it has to do with things related to Christ. Mm -hmm. Now I have a friend, uh, Josh pastored with him for a while. When we're starting in the Christian life, when you're learning out, it really this really goes to your position in Christ because it, you're raised with them. So it's where Christ is sitting. But there's more things as you mature. And Hebrews really brings this out. There's more things that you could also set your mind to. It doesn't even use that word. But Josh has been going over that Christ is our, what is he according to Hebrews for on our behalf? He's our high priest, which means he's doing some high priestly things on our behalf. Is that another thing that you could set your mind to? Yeah, that's an amazing thing to think about what he's doing. See, So as a maturing believer, you can not just focus on the fact that I'm seated in Christ, but also that... Jesus Christ up there is doing something. That's an activity that's taking place up there. Okay. Um, then let's, I didn't have Holland read these verses, but if you go back and read verses 220 for us in Colossians. Since you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as? Go ahead and you can read those. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Okay. So he says, you died, there in 2.20, you died to those basic things of the world. But, I, I'm answering my own question, there are two in Christ facts, 2.20, Colossians 2.20, I should actually clarify those, Colossians 2.20, Colossians 3.1. What does Colossians 2.20 said happened to us? Died Christ. And what does Colossians 3.1 say? You're raised. So both of those are in Christ things. And as a result of that, because those are both in Christ's things, he then can tell us in verse 2 to do what? 3 2. Yeah. So if because I'm in Christ, I died to those things, I'm raised to those things. Good example. 
Any questions here? I realize we've we've gone over these many times before, but uh, it doesn't hurt to review. Turn over to First Corinthians chapter two. I want to look at another example of what it means to be spiritual. It's not an altogether different thing. It just or not. It's not like this is a different kind of spiritual. It's just talking another benefit in a different context. First Corinthians chapter 2. And Ronnie, if you would, uh, why don't you go and read verse 9 down through verse 13 because we're going to end up looking at all of this. As it is written, what I oh, gotta get the wording of this. What I did not see and ear did not hear, and what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love them. I'm used to a different version. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to say the old. Okay, sorry. <laughs> now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. How far am I going? Um, keep, just keep okay. keep reading down through the end of the chapter, down through oh, verse oh, okay. fifteen. Okay. So, we also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Or with spiritual words. Well, yeah, that's what I'm... Yeah, it shouldn't okay. be people. It should be words, right? You're right. Okay, let me change it. Sorry. Okay, there. Um, but the... Um, soulish does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he... Hmm, Uh-oh. Let's see. I crossed out. The but we, that's okay. We can stop there. We, to him. Yeah, we can stop at verse 15. <laughs> Sorry. So, so, we're trying to answer the question, what is the Spirit doing in these verses? What's the general idea of what he's saying the Spirit's doing? What's, what's the Spirit doing in those verses? He's giving, taking objective revelation and making it subjective to the one that's rightly related to him. That's right. In other words, Paul's trying to say, this is how I communicate, this is how I communicate when I speak. I'm not just sitting there all, Paul's saying, I'm going, oh, how am I going to say that? Josh has to do that. Any of you that teach, you need to take some time and think about how you're going to express a truth that's in the Word of God. But Paul in this context is saying, when I speak, I don't do that. The Spirit is taking these things, the things back in verse 9. Those are the things that God has prepared, prepared for us who are loving Him. So these are things that, that believers living the Christian life can enjoy. That's what he's talking about. These aren't your future. These are things right now that we get to enjoy. But Paul says as he communicates that to us, the Spirit is the one that's 
choosing the right words that Paul knows, or maybe taking words that Paul knows and putting them together to make a whole new word. We have some words that Paul's coined that don't occur anywhere else. And then he, then Paul spoke that. And then the Spirit takes those things and helps you and I. And this is, let's go down there to verse 14. The soulish person doesn't receive or welcome the things from the Spirit of God. They're foolish. They're moronic to him. You know, this is a waste of my time. That's the way they look at it. He's not able to know them experientially. He hears these truths and he goes, I can't live that. That's pie in the sky. You tell me that I'm up in Christ? Well, I can't do that because I'm down here on earth. So it's worthless to me. This is the way they look at it because they're spiritually evaluated. But the spiritual person, that person discerns all things. Now, when he says all things, he's not saying he goes out and discerns everything in the world. He's talking about all those things in verse 9 that God's prepared for us. He's able to look at those things and say, that has value. To actually have this fruit from the Spirit that we just got done looking at here last week, that has value to me in my life. Knowing that I'm part of the body of Christ with all these other people, that has value to me. See, These other people go, yeah, whatever, whatever. But the spiritual belief. So in this context then, when you're talking about a person that is spiritual, what could we say is true about that person? What, it, what characterizes a spiritual person in this context when it says the spiritual one discerns in verse 15? What makes them spiritual? How would you say they're spiritual? They're valuing God's revelation. There's discernment. Yeah. They're actually paying attention to spirit-taught words about spirit things or things that God wants to say to you and I. And they see value, exactly what Josh is saying. And they're spiritual in that regard. Now let's flip to the next chapter, chapter 3. And Josh, if you would read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 3 for us. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you zeal and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk according to a man? Okay. So, the importance of this is, he says, I couldn't teach you like you were these spiritual men, these men that actually can ex be experiencing this because your problem is you are fleshly. You're people that are living by your flesh. The thing is, is if you go back to chapter 1, these people are doing, put it in quotes, ministry. But they think that that ministry can be, get, can be gotten done, can be accomplished by fleshly means. Just the, way, just the way you can go to college and take a class or get online and take some class or something like that on a different thing and learn a skill and you can do that. It has nothing whatsoever to do with God. It's I'm strictly learning history or I'm learning basket weaving. Uh, you can do that. You can do that all with your flesh and with your fleshly mind. But the truths from God 
those things, you have to use your spirit to relate to those truths. Right? And so he says, you guys are fleshly. You guys are trying to do God's work by your own human means. You're trying to do it no different than the world tries to get its stuff done. Right around here. We have many, many, many people around us. Most of us know many of them that are Mormons. I know they don't like to use that name, but, but nonetheless, this is who they are. And most of those people are unbelievers. And they're very religious. I mean, you want to talk about a church that has a lot of duties, a lot of responsibilities that those people are supposed to do? And when they do those, are they doing those things out of their flesh? Or are they doing it from something moved by the Holy Spirit? No, because they don't even have the Holy Spirit. So they're accomplishing their ministry, their good works, strictly by the flesh. So the unsaved people can be very religious, being motivated and driven by their own flesh. But guess what? The sad thing is, believers can too. We've got something so much better, and yet we can still go about ministry like these guys were, by our flesh. Now, there's one other thing there. What is the Spirit teaching in the context when we were talking about the things God's prepared for us when we're loving Him? Because all, do all believers love the Lord? No. No, we know that. John tells us that. You can't have love for the world and love for God at the same time. He says, just can't do it. And so... He's talking about this when those who are believers who are loving him, they actually, there's things that they get to experience, that they get to enjoy uh, in terms of their practice at a moment in time. Now, there's one last passage I want to listen to. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. So you want to read verses 18 and 19 for us, Gary? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with all your heart. Okay. So where's our word spiritual there? Spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. Are every song that we sing, are they always spiritual? No. <laughs> no. A lot of songs are very, soulish. very soulish. Yeah, even even some Christian songs are very soulish. Um, and there's nothing wrong with the fact of your soul appreciating a song, whether it's a song about God or a song about something else. But these are songs that you have to, for you to appreciate this song, you have to be spiritual. You have to be filled by the Spirit. He produces this, and you're not going to appreciate the truths or the facts that you're communicating in that song. Um, and again, I, I, I made this comment a couple times lately just because as I've been working on in this bathroom, I, I have listened, to, I have the K-Lob app on my phone and I set it and I play it through my Bluetooth speaker so I can hear it. And, and there's a lot of songs I like, but there's, I, I was telling somebody the other day, there's a lot of songs where it's like, oh, my life is hard. Oh, my life is sorrow. I have this problem and I have this problem, but Jesus gives me light. God loves me. And, and those are true things. Don't get me wrong. But then, and I was thinking about this uh, when I would listened to one of these songs, I was thinking, and then Josh and Jennifer come in there and they have us at least once a month when they lead singing. We get to sing a song that I hadn't sang really since I was growing up as a kid. We didn't, 
maybe we've sung it a few times over the year, but holy, holy, holy. And you want to talk about a song that it, it, it does move my soul, don't get me wrong. But to really appreciate holy, 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 you have to use your spirit because it has a lot of truth about God and what God has done and is. And, and I'm not saying that hymns are always better because there's some hymns that aren't that great. But of just using this contrast that there are songs that really appeal to our spirit, they cause us really to go, God, that is true of you. That is true. I think it's one of the reasons when I've written a few songs that we've sung at church, my songs are always a little bit, eh, because I get so wrapped up in the truth that's in the song that I find it hard to make a song that's melodious. <laughs> But whether we do that or not, these are songs that the Spirit, that relate to our Spirit. And you know what? The thing is, it might be a song that the Spirit gives you in the moment. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I've had the Holy Spirit give me songs. I hadn't, I have never heard that song before. I've never sung that song. But it's like he gives you a song in a moment, and I'm thinking, man, i got to remember this and write it down. And guess what? Later, I can't remember enough of it. It was a song for that moment. But sometimes when you're spiritual, the song, the Spirit brings to mind a song that you do know, that you really appreciate. So spiritual, in summation, as we go through here, Galatians 6.1 told us that spiritual people have a responsibility to help people that are, that are caught in trespasses, which means that the person can know they're spiritual. They can identify themselves as spiritual. So it's possible, and we saw in the context that they're characterized by walking by the Spirit and having the fruit from the Spirit. And then we saw that we can have people that we can walk by the Spirit, according to Romans 8, by setting our minds to who God says we are in Christ, to our life that is in Christ Jesus, in that regard. And those things above our life in Christ Jesus, we saw in Colossians chapter 3, is related to the fact that we are raised up with him. So we set our minds to those things that are above. And then we saw that a spiritual means that we're people that are taught by this, not only taught by the Spirit, but even more so caused by the Spirit to appreciate truth, to appreciate what God has said, appreciate what God's done. And lastly, in this last one, that spiritual can characterize a song that you and I are going to appreciate in our spirit, as to a, as to opposed to a song that just makes you move, you know, just go, oh, I like that song. It was really, I wish I could find this video. Peggy thinks that they were made to take it off the internet, but it was a song where there was these two girls, and the one girl invited her other friend to go to church with her, and they went up in the worship teams up there, and they're singing this song, and they're going along, and all of a sudden they're doing this song, and next thing you know. They're going, the, word, the lyrics of the song is E-I-E-I-O, E-I-E-I-O. It is, you know, Old MacDonald, and they're doing, she goes, are we singing Old MacDonald? Oh, yeah, isn't it beautiful? It's just, and the whole point, the punch of the, the skit, sketch, was this is what happens sometimes with music in churches that people just get so into the music, they could be singing Old MacDonald, and they're into it, and they've still got their hands raised up, you know. Old MacDonald. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, I have looked and looked. I I watched that video three times when I first when somebody sent that to me, and I I think maybe Ben Fanning sent that to me several years ago, and I thought that that was just hilarious. I can't find it at all anymore. But that aside, forgetting that little <laughs> sketch at the end, you and I have the potential to be spiritual because we have the Holy Spirit. We we have a position in Christ. We can set our minds to that. I bet if I would have asked any of you to go through tonight and say, tell me, what does it mean to be a spiritual person? You may not have walked us through every one of those scriptures, but you probably would have walked us through a couple of the key ones and you could have said, this is what, this is how to be spiritual and this is what makes you spiritual. But uh, not everybody knows that. So we're trying to help provide that. And uh, any comments or questions as we close? Okay. <clears throat>